0: So, um, I will be covering this morning uh, Jesus' words from the cross when he addresses his mother and John. So, if you'd stand with me one more time, we're going to go ahead and read the passage. This is from John nineteen twenty-five through 27. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Lord, I just ask that your words this morning and the power of your spirit would just work deeply in us and that you would change us uh, by who you are in your name. Amen. As we look at this passage and others, we're going to be drawing our attention to just the three main points here. Jesus as his father in heaven, as being the son of God. Jesus and his mother being the son of man or more properly, the son of Mary. And Jesus and his adopted family, the son alongside brothers and sisters. This morning, as we go over these three dynamics of these relationships that Jesus has with his father in heaven, his mother, and his disciples, those who would be his throughout the world over the centuries is the term that I'm looking at this morning for disciples. We're going to explore the tension that his mother and Jesus' family had with him and some of the pain and rejection that he felt from this as he obeyed his Father in heaven and the mission he was given as the Son of God. Because remember the story, if you've been here the last few weeks, starting the night before when Jesus began to suffer, first in the garden as he wrestled with taking the sins of the world upon himself and having to drink that cup of suffering. And then throughout the rest of the night and into the early morning, he was beaten, spit upon, whipped, mocked, having thorns driven into his skull and be wrongly accused. And then, weak with the loss of blood, he carries either the cross beam or the whole cross, which weighed between 100 pounds to 200 pounds plus. Throughout the streets of Jerusalem, carrying this outside To the crucifixion area. And there starting at 9 o'clock in the morning. He's crucified and hung alive on that cross. For the next 6 hours until 3 in the afternoon when he died. I personally don't know of anyone. Who has suffered such torture. And such suffering. Who would not be self-absorbed in this time. But in this passage, we see Jesus giving himself to his mother in honor to have her being taken care of in the last years of his life. And again, I'll just repeat this. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Now, John, who's writing this, always refers to himself in a very humble way. (laughs) He always uses the term, the disciple whom Jesus loved, rather than referring to himself. And so his mother, who is obviously suffering greatly, watching this, sees John. And then John is given the charge from Jesus, here is your mother. And from that very time on, he takes her into his own home. explain the fact that John was very close to Jesus. Uh, you know, Obviously, he had a number of people following him, sometimes hundreds, sometimes even a thousand. But he had 12 he called his apostles, his disciples. And then within that, he had three who spent more time with him, Peter, James, and John here. And who knows, maybe John was the favorite, but I'm not going to say. But remember, he was the only disciple that was nearby during the trial and also now at the crucifixion. And remember, back in that timeline, it was very normal during this time for a convicted criminal that was about to die to entrust his family members to someone else for their welfare and care. So I want you to place yourself in this passage a little bit, and I want you to think as a mother seeing your son like this in extreme pain and suffering and seeing the shame of being on this cross with all that humiliation that goes with that. Just pause a second and think about how you would be feeling. Or even if you're a father and you have children, think about how it would be to see your son there. How much did she really comprehend that this was his mission and purpose? At this stage of her life that she had seen for the last 33 years. Did she understand that he was to be her savior as well as the whole world's? I don't know. But the passages we're going to go through, we're going to see a progression of Mary's confusion and pain as well as Jesus's. Now, at this point in time in Mary's life, she's roughly 50 or so years old. Uh, she probably was, you know, engaged to Joseph when she was a teenager, an older teenager. Uh, By the way, that is no meaning for right now that if you have a teenage daughter or if you're a teenager, you hear this, that you can get married right now. So just put that aside, okay? Different time. I'm joking. Mary has had to adapt to unique radical changes that no other woman before or after, has ever had to deal with. I mean, come on. From the very get-go, being a virgin, having a baby, born of God? Anybody you know ever gone through that? No. I mean, that's, that starts it off with a big bang, right? So, I want to go back over some passages of Scripture and look at the intertwining life of Mary and Jesus along with this growing clash between the Son of God, Jesus, the natural Son of Mary, and the normal Jewish family culture. So, let's look at the first passage here. And this happens to be the dedication of Jesus in the temple, which was you know, roughly 30, 40 days after his birth. And Joseph and Mary are bringing him to the temple, which was the custom at that time. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So there's a crowd of people in this temple, lots of children being dedicated, a lot of people, a lot of things going on. And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, or Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus, And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and a sign for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Obviously, Mary and Joseph were blown away by what was being said here. So, obviously, they don't have a complete picture that we have the abundance of being able to have right now. Plus, the warning of the sword entering into her own heart. Is it possible that Mary remembers this prophecy as she watches her son on the cross? I think it's very probable. Before we get into the next passage, for the next number of years until Jesus is 30 years old, is mostly a silent time as far as the recording of life of Jesus and his family, except one notable time in Luke chapter 12. It's Passover week. The whole family, all the families in Israel would come from their towns, relatives, they'd all travel in bunches and come to Passover week. And be in Jerusalem and stay either in Jerusalem or outside the city gates during the entire week. So on the way home from Passover, Jesus isn't with them. Mary and Joseph are looking around. you know where he is? Hey, so-and-so, do you know where he is? They can't find him. So they rush back into Jerusalem and spend the next three days frantically searching for their son, 12 years old. Put yourself in their place. Finally, they find him in the temple courts, sitting with the teachers of the law, listening to them and asking them questions. Mary says to him, like any mother would, Son, why have you treated us like this and your father? For we've been anxiously searching for you. Jesus' answer is, well, why were you searching for me? You know I had to be in my father's house but they did not understand what he was saying to them. (laughs) If your kid answered you that way after you searched for him for three days, what would you say to him? What were you thinking? Did you lose your mind? Right? You can understand Mary and Joseph here. But Jesus is emerging. He knows what... He's beginning to grab a hold of what his father in heaven is doing. Remember, he's growing in grace and knowledge of God. So he goes home with his parents, submits to them, and goes home. Pretty big incident. Now, remember, if you read the the passages in the New Testament, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that Mary had younger half-brothers and sisters. By Joseph, So it's pretty much given that before we go into this next passage that Joseph dies sometime when Jesus is probably in his mid-twenties. So according to Jewish tradition, Jesus takes over the main responsibility as being the oldest son to take care of his mother and his whole family and possibly some of his younger siblings. So he provides by being a carpenter and an artisan, but at age 30, right around then, he's directed by God, his Father, to leave his family to go be baptized by this crazy preacher named John in the wilderness. Now, I'm not being disrespectful, but definitely outside of the normal Jewish culture norm, right? guy who's dressed in his camel hair and eats locust and honey, and he's baptizing people, screaming out repentance for the kingdom of God is coming near definitely outside of the norm. So as he gets baptized, remember, he goes into the wilderness to be tested, comes back anointed by the Father to proclaim the kingdom of God and be shown as the Messiah of Israel. Big question that maybe you need to think about. How do you think his mother and his family reacts to this? The oldest son appears to be leaving his responsibilities and Losing his mind by becoming a poor, itinerant rabbi with crazy things happening around him. That's where we lead into picking up this next passage and the story early in his ministry. When he comes back to his hometown for the second time. In other books, the first time he comes back to Nazareth, he creates a riot by his radical teaching, and is nearly throw, they nearly throw him off the cliff. What do you think Mary has thought about that incident since that time? What do you think his brothers and sisters think about it? So now Jesus is back again, so let's pick up the story in this passage. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. (laughs) Maybe you've never read this before, and this might be really wild. But that's what they were thinking. A few days later, his mother and his brothers come again, and they're standing outside, and they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them and said, well, who are my mother and who are my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here is my mother and here are my brothers. And whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and he is my sister. I think it's pretty clear that neither Mary nor his brothers and sisters understood at this point what was going on. And it's not, We need to be clear, it's not that Jesus didn't care about his family, but Jesus' mission is to bring the kingdom of God, and as the king, also introduce a new family dynamic that is different from blood relationships, as well as culture, cultural structure norms. Now, at this point, I need to add a cautionary note. These passages, as well as a few others that we're going to be reading, is sometimes interpreted by groups of Christians in this country and around the world that if you have some kind of full-time ministry and some some kind you know of outreaching, whether it be evangelist or a pastor or whatever that looks like, full-time ministry, instead of maybe a, quote, normal secular job. That following Jesus here in this model is an absolute must. But I can tell you this has caused much pain and ruined many family lives over the years. And I'm just going to be transparent and honest. When I was first a full-time pastor and, and, and happened to be leading my own fellowship, that's how I was taught as a young man that family comes last. That you have to follow this example of Jesus and everything else takes that back seat. I can tell you it didn't turn out real well with my wife. And, you know, it was a bad thing. And I'm glad God caught me and just corrected me because I brought a lot of pain to her as well as my children. So that's why I'm adding this cautionary story. But it's important to see That Jesus, being fully God and fully man, is savior of the world, king, and future ruler of this world. And he is the only one qualified to lead this kind of life that we see here. Okay? So what Jesus is saying here is pretty radical, but the next passage actually brings this point home even more. And again, pretty radical statement by Jesus here in Matthew 10. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If that doesn't hit you, it's a hard one. But Jesus' form of discipleship for giving him ultimate supremacy beyond parents or children is not something that even the most esteemed rabbi of the day or teacher would ever demand. Therefore, this is an implicit declaration of his deity. Because only God deserves a higher place of honor over someone's father or mother or children. Now, remember, let's go back to the passage that we first read at the beginning the original passage, Jesus is entrusting the care of his mother to John. And it's really very possible that he was honoring John, first of all, for his courage to stand with him at the crucifixion when all the other disciples had run away. But it would be also the fact that John would take care of her in future persecutions of those who would follow Jesus as Messiah after his resurrection. It's a possibility that's why Jesus is doing this for his mother. Remember, roughly seven months earlier, Jesus' brothers were mocking Jesus about going up to the Feast of Tabernacles and making a spectacle of himself to his disciples and others during the feast. They were definitely against him and rejecting him for his, his claims to be Messiah. In Psalm 69, there, there are many psalms, psalms of David and others that wrote the psalms, that are called messianic songs, meaning David or whoever wrote the song was writing about their own experiences, but God takes them also as words for what the future Messiah would say to God. And I'm going to read this passage from Psalm 69, 7 through 9. He says, for I endure insults for your sake. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Because zeal for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Jesus bore the shame of family rejection and even somewhat fractured normal relationship with his mother Mary, as we can see in some of the passages we're reading here. Let's go to the next slide, because I think we need to understand what the cross does, what his death and his mission means. As we've seen here, as we've read some of these passages, the cross, his death, his mission can bring division or persecution, but it also brings can bring reconciliation, healing, and restoration. Persecution and division is, is read throughout the entire New Testament. We read about this and also throughout the centuries that the church has existed on this planet as being those called out by God and following Jesus. There's written reports, as well as witnesses about believers facing persecution and death themselves for the sake of his name. So Jesus, as our forerunner, suffers the very same thing that we do now following with him. And that's part of our heritage as disciples, as followers of him. In fact, Paul says, all that will who live godly, all that desire to live godly will suffer persecution. It's a good promise to hold on to. Maybe you don't agree with that right now, but it's a good promise to hold on to. But healing, reconciliation, and healing and restoration, in giving Mary to John as the son of Mary, he is ensuring that she will receive healing and restoration from the hardship that she's had to endure being his mother. But as the son of God, He is reconciling her to God through his death and the shedding of his blood. But not only her, but many in Israel and the entire Gentile world that would come to him in different ways. I want you to stop and think a minute. Because sometimes when we're doing a message like this on a Sunday morning, we listen a lot, but we don't interact necessarily and respond. But I, I want you to just spend a minute and think about those who raised you. Whoever that was, a single mother, a single dad, stepfather, whatever. I want you to think. They're just like you. They have the same failings and faults. And sometimes we can make foolish vows that say things like, I'll never do that. I'll never be like that to my kids. Now, some of you might have been raised by perfect parents. God bless you. (laughs) But most of us have had to move on from childish ideas about parenthood. And for some of you, You suffered great abuse by those who raised you. But here is the power of the cross. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Power of the cross. It's all right. Don't worry. The power of Jesus' death and the shedding of his blood on the cross transcends space and time. And he can reconcile you to whatever you think about your folks in either way and bring healing and restoration to that relationship. So, just going to take a chance here. But God said he's in the midst of us as we come to worship. So I just want you to close your eyes for a minute. And just let the Lord speak to you about your folks, whoever raised you. And if there's business to do, do that with him right now because he's here to touch that. Father, we receive the reconciliation and the healing and restoration. Thank you for the power that Jesus proclaimed to his mother and his his reconciliation of her to yourself. Lord, I pray that we would experience an ongoing wonderful balance between being able to recognize our parents' fault or whoever raised us And at the same time, not hold them to judgment or condemnation. Pray you'd teach us what it means to honor who they were or who they are right now. As only you can do. So thank you for your work. We love you. Thank you. Those of you at home, hopefully you did the same thing. Jesus got to see something that sometimes we don't get to see all the time. Let's look at the next slide. And this is after the resurrection. Jesus has taken the twelve to, the, to, the, to a, a hill and has ascended back to the Father. This is probably about 30 days after his resurrection when he's appeared to many during that time. And this is his final time where he says goodbye, that he's coming back. And so the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All of these were, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. For those of you that like good endings, there you go. It wasn't until the resurrection. Now, Mary was a much different story, I'm sure, but his brothers and sisters. I have a feeling he, well, in fact, Paul in his letter to the Corinthians says that Jesus showed himself to one of his brothers named James. So it's a possibility that he revealed himself in his resurrection body to the rest of his family. And here they are, worshiping and praying, waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is the, which is the Feast of Pentecost. Isn't that powerful? So let's go to the next slide as I end here. Remember we talked about at the beginning That we have one relationship with Jesus, with his father in heaven, as the son of God. Jesus and his mother, the son of man. But I want to delve a little deeper into what we're experiencing now. And have the entire world has experienced for the last two centuries. Jesus and his adopted family, the son alongside brothers and sisters. Let's go to the next slide. This is out of the book of Hebrews, and it's weighty, but I want you to kind of wade yourself through it a little bit, swim in it a little bit. This is out of Hebrews 2, and speaking about Jesus and God. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect, Through suffering. This is Jesus. For he who sanctifies or sets apart, and those who are sanctified or set apart all have one source. This is why Jesus, he, is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will tell of your name to my brethren, and in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, Behold I and the children God has given me these referencing Old Testament passages here that are messianic passages since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of that of death that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. It might feel a little bit odd for you to refer to Jesus as your brother. But that is one of his titles. Yes, he is our forerunner. Yes, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the king. He is the master. He is the glorious Son of God. But he has chosen to call us brothers and sisters along with him. In fact, Jesus said in John very clearly that as the Father has loved me, so he loves you. That's an amazing statement to me. He has adopted us into his family. Now, adoption back then meant something different than it does now. (laughs) So, this is not some red-headed stepchild here, okay? All right, that's an old statement, but you think about it. Been to adoption agencies, or maybe some of you were adopted. But back then, it wasn't, there was no declaration that somehow you weren't a full family member. When you were adopted in, you were a full son or full daughter in a family house with all the privileges of any natural son or daughter in that household. That is the same picture that we see here. Look at the last passage here. These are different things from the book of Hebrews, but take this for who Jesus is to us. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted was 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Finally, 5.2, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. What does that rise up within you? Maybe you've never thought about Jesus in this way. That he feels the pain and the suffering. Not only then, back then, 2,000 years ago, but today, has that heart of compassion. In fact, he says in Hebrews that he is our high priest, constantly making intercession for us. So I really want this to sink in. And I really want you to grab a hold of him in this way that's being presented here. That you may see yourself as doing really good in this particular time. And that's great. That's the grace of God. But for those of us who are feeling tempted and tested and weak and just for whatever reason in the stage of life, all the cylinders aren't firing. Because he has gone through those things, he is able to to rescue you and deliver you and strengthen you in the midst of that. Let that sink in. Let these passages sink in. As we see Jesus caring for his mother in the midst of incredible suffering, and yet he was able to give of himself and honor his mother, and then seeing this family relationship healed, (laughs) later on, hopefully will give you courage within your relationships that you have, not only with your natural family, but the family of God, because I don't care where you go, (laughs) there is no one perfect in God's body right now. We all can hurt each other. We all can screw up. And yet, God is not ashamed call us his sons and daughters as we repent and we change as we move forward.